Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Coast to Coast Podcast here coming to you live as we are joined tonight by a special guest, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Director or National Director of Scouting. I've already made an error, so you can tell we're out of season. Uh, But as always, uh, Coast to Coast Podcast brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. This is Inside Carolina's own. I'm all over the place, guys. I've been trying to get this together. We have got all kinds of uh, disasters, tornadoes and such going on outside of, of my house and, you know, down the hall. My wife and kids are watching Twister for some reason. But anyway, uh, as has mentioned, we are joined tonight by Adam Finkelstein, uh, National Director of Scouting for 24-7 Sports. And per usual, Cheryl McMillan and Sean Moran join us. I'm just Joey Powell. Really realizing that I don't like the way our banner looks on the screen here. It looks kind of, it's kind of muffled and, and and cluttered up. But hey, this is this is now officially a live show, so I can't really do anything about it now. Adam, first off, thanks for making time for us. I appreciate you you being here. I hope you've had a good summer. Have you had a chance to catch your breath since the uh, AAU season started winding down? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish I had. Uh, I got my last trip coming up this week. Um, going to Atlanta for elite 24. And then, um, next week, next week, we're going to kind of, uh, school doesn't start here until like the, the end of the month. So I've, I've got a couple weeks to, uh, to kind of see my family and stuff before the kids go back to school. But yeah. Getting, getting one more obligations in, man, you got to nail those in, in a very truncated window. I'm sure, especially when, when you're hopping around as much as you have, uh, Sherelle and Sean, Nobody cares how y'all are doing, but I, I care. I care how I care. y'all are doing. I appreciate you guys being here. Um, one of the things we want to do tonight, uh, Adam, is is kind of go through some last finishing touches, I guess, on the 24 sure. class. Um, and honestly, if you wanted to do a, a post, post-mortem on the 23 class, feel free. Um, but we sure. want to kind of throw some things at you about the 24 class. Um, specifically, there's uh, one player, uh, Cousin Drake, that everybody seems to be just – uh, frothing at the mouth over and, and yeah. then we want to we want to dive into 2025 because uh, it is upon us I mean we're getting ready to see not only has UNC got a bunch of offers out but Hubert Davis and his staff are, are really trying to start getting guys on the campus because you know as you know football season is the biggest time for for guys to make these visits so we expect to start right. seeing some movement there so we'll start first uh, and I'll let Sean go first because I know he's got a couple of questions uh, to sure. ask you about 
uh, some of the 2024 players, specifically what you saw at a couple of events this summer. Sean, you're up, dude. Awesome. Uh, good to see you, Adam, and, and hope the summer went, uh, went well. I think for me, the biggest question, uh, you know, goes around Drake Powell. Uh, he obviously played really well in the first EYBL session and kind of it seemed leveled off uh, maybe the EYBL spring sessions after that and then had a huge peach jam, which everybody saw. And yeah. I think you kind of see the talent and everything coming together. But I was more curious because I know he also played at the USA uh, U19 yeah. tryouts and Pangos where, um, you know, there wasn't as much reported information from there, but the buzz didn't seem um, as strong. So just wanted to, for you to talk to having seen him kind of the highs and lows as you saw him, you know, throughout the summer process. So for background, you know, Travis Branham from our staff had had seen him more during the, the course of the school season than I had and was really kind of advocating on his behalf during during the rankings process. Um, you know, and, and then in April, I did I chose strategically to do Under Armour and Adidas because they didn't have sessions in May. And I just thought it was important that I got got eyes on all three circuits. So I didn't see EYBL uh, until May. And I did the first, you know, I did session three and four in Dallas and in Memphis. And then I spent, I don't know, five days at the PGM, six days at the PGM. I know I was there the 4th of July. That's, that's all I, um, the, uh, so, um, but I was, and then I was also at, uh, USAB 19 and unders that you mentioned. Um, he's one of the guys that you don't need any kind of scouting background to see his talent. You know, like I affectionately say, like my mom could tell you that kid's good, you know, um, because you see the athleticism is is easy to recognize. The competitiveness is easy to recognize. I think where it gets a little more um, nuanced is in understanding kind of the contextual things of maybe why he didn't score as much as other potential five star prospects and whether that is. Um, you know, what, what some of the variables could be in there. Um, and especially with his shooting percentages, because they weren't, you know, frankly, they weren't good in the, in the EYBL regular season. Um, I did it, USAB 19s. I put out a tweet. Um, it was a very Mike Schmitz esque tweet of me where I did like the slow-mo look at his, <laughs> it is shooting mechanics. Um, and for the record, like Schmitz, who I worked with at ESPN, uh, first of all, great dude. Second of all, like the skill to get those shooting tweets, like those are harder to capture than they look. Like I was, I was sitting there with the darn phone like forever. Um, but my take on, on Drake's shooting stroke is that it wasn't as far away as advertised um, or certainly as far as the numbers indicate. And there are some mechanical things that certainly need to need to adjust. You know, I think his guide hand placement is a little, you know, that could, could move a little bit. Um, but for the most part, there was nothing like broken about the stroke. And even the playmaking flashes, I, I thought a lot of it was, again, not polished, like certainly has to get better, but not as far away as I think maybe you think if you've only seen him in, in one setting. You know, like if you'd only watch session three of EYBL where he has four points or whatever it is in one game, you're like, oh, this kid can't score. Well, that's not the case. You just have to see him in multiple settings in different contexts in order to see it. So I thought he, he did score in USAB. He got paint touches in USAB. The shot looked pretty good. Um, and, and defensively, I think we all kind of know what he what he is and more importantly, what he can be down the road as that continues to come. So I'm I'm um, become an, an enthusiastic 
uh, supporter of his, but even within our group, like Bossy was just on our show, I think it was two weeks ago saying uh, he thinks he's top three in the class now. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of people on our, on our staff who are really enthusiastic about it. What I will say is this is, um, is that I think that his offensive, he's not a finished product and his offensive game is still going to have to continue to develop. So this is going to be, uh, and Ian Jackson's a little like this too. Um, so this is going to be a test of North Carolina's player development program because these two guys and, and Drake in particular are undeniably talented and undeniably competitive and they're workers and, and there's nothing broken, but they still have to get better. So they're not like Elliot Cadeau came in there and he's polished. Well, Drake, Drake Powell, Ian Jackson, like they've, they've got to come in there. They've got to polish a lot of different things. Nothing's broken. The tools are all there but they've got to polish some things. So that that's kind of where I stand on, on both of those guys. And we're projecting that to happen. For and one, one quick follow-up and definitely appreciate the detail for USA basketball be, before it happened, we kind of talked about, you know, what happens at those events. And I mean, you can go back and you had a guy like Darius Garland who, who got cut from the U 16 and U seven. So you've had yeah. very talented guys get cut, but, um, and it can also be very challenging for people, especially if it is their first USA basketball experience, but, what was it for him that, you know, didn't lend himself to making the team? Obviously there's a lot of older players as well, but it's, I know it's a tough uh, process, but for him, you know, what was it that didn't get over the hump in those few practice sessions that they have to choose from? So I'm going to duck your question a little bit because I, I can't pinpoint. It was one of those things like, first of all, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people who didn't accept the invitation to USAB. Um, so like, and even high school kids, I mean, the, the incoming college freshmen not accepting is not new news, but like, yeah. uh, rising high school seniors not accepting. I mean, that's new. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, from my st standpoint, like I'm always somewhat concerned, especially when a high school senior is, is not doing that. Like there, cause there's not another, there's certainly not a better evaluation setting. Um, there's not a better, like, you, you're not going to get coached more than you do there. Um, so, but sometimes you can go and you can not look good. And, and candidly, that's why some kids choose not to go because they're hiding a little bit. Um, the great thing about this year's camp was that no one really looked bad. And, and I mean that since it, like, I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it. I mean, I've been to a lot of these and I've <laughs> never said that before. So, um, you know, it wasn't that there were like 10 guys you're like, okay, they don't belong here. I mean, there was probably one or two who you were like, oh, they don't belong here. Um, but whether it was Drake Powell or Liam McNeely or Derek Queen or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other high school kids that were there and, and uh, Cam Scott who was there and, and, and didn't make it. Nobody was like, there wasn't an example of like, oh, if they did this, they'd be good. Like, I think, I think they made it very hard on the selection committee. Um, and I, I think Drake probably made it harder on the selection committee than they anticipated because, if you had only seen Drake in EYBL, you might have thought his offensive game was farther away than it ended up being in this situation. Um, this was a team that this was a USAB team that needed scoring. And, and the other thing to keep in consideration is they're building a team and they, they take into consideration who they're playing and the style, the styles they're going to play against. They knew this was going to be a big challenge going in. And obviously they didn't they didn't they didn't win. They didn't medal. Uh, they lost in the semifinals and they lost in the consolation game. So I think, you know, they, they went with, um, 
you know, I, I don't know that as much as we are, we are able to watch the practices because they, they, they're great with their hospitality. We are not in on those meetings. So we're not exactly sure, you know, why they picked Trey Johnson over Drake or why they picked Dylan Harper over Drake or, or whoever. Um, but I can, I can tell you that I thought that the, I did not envy being in that room <laughs> because I thought this was as difficult of a decision-making process as they've had since I've, I've watched these things. Got it. Thank you. It, it seemed like he was pretty loaded on, on the wing. Um, it, it used their basketball from what we could tell. Um, which brings us kind of to the next guy we want to talk about, uh, UNC's 2024 commit, Ian Jackson. Yeah. And I, I think my question is, um, it, I'll, I'll try not to preamble too much, but it, it seems like when guys are in the public consciousness for such a long time, their mm -hmm. names just start getting picked apart and picked apart. Mm -hmm. And maybe people don't really appreciate the kind of player that they actually are. Do, do you think it's gotten to the point almost where Ian Jackson has become underrated? Um, not by us. Um, you know, I think, I think by some, um, but he is, he is one of those, this is what I'll say. Cause I'm about two hours from Ian. I'm in Connecticut, you know, he's in New York. So I, I've seen Ian probably 10 to 15 times in the last six months. What I will tell you about Ian is he has some, some really impressive highs and then he's got some less impressive lows. So there's a wider range of outcomes when you watch Ian play than there are, uh, some of these other guys, like, like I can pinpoint. I'm going to pinpoint right off the top of my head three different times. So Saturday morning in the Omaha session of Adidas 3 SSB, he was awesome. I think he had 37 or something. But just like if you saw that game, there's no way you're leaving there and saying he's not a top five kid. Um, two weeks earlier, USA Basketball Friday night session, like the first session at the Final Four. Because I remember, you know, within our staff, we've got a lot of guys that interview the kids and, and do interview – interviews and stuff like that that's not really my role so when it's when it's like media availability time usually if i talk to the kids it's just to talk to them about about the game you know what i mean and i i remember i requested to talk to ian that night just because i'd said to him i was like and i just said to him i was like dude do this every night and he was like he's looking at me he's like do you have a question i was like no i don't have a question i just wanted to tell you do this every night um and then the other time, quite frankly, was at the um, was at the U19 minicamp. I mean, I had an NBA scout and this Shrell, to your point, I had an NBA scout say to me, like, I heard he was falling off. That's not what we're seeing right now. You know, he was he was killing that day. But but you see him on some other days and you're like, come on, dude, this this isn't it. You know, um, there were some games with that national team where, you know, I thought like his, his, his feel for the game was, was, you know, didn't look great. Uh, there are other games where the, the jumper has, has been problematic this season. There were certainly games uh, at Hayes this season where I was, where he didn't look like a top five kid. So I think it's very, and it's funny, I think Sean May and I had this conversation sitting on a, on a Vegas bench a few, a few weeks ago in a, a gym where the air conditioner broke when it was 115 degrees out. Um, but with Ian, yeah, that was nuts. Uh, but with Ian, it's just kind of like, where do you see him? And, and, you know, he, it's a consistency thing with him. I mean, he's got that and not a consistency of his motor. Cause he's always going to compete and play hard. But so I, am not really sure the root of it, whether it's a confidence thing or, um, but your point about your point about being in the public eye is a hundred percent right on. And, and that's what I tell kids all the time when they get worked up about underclassmen rankings. I said like, Hey, when you get ranked really high early, there's there's really only one direction you can go after that. You know, somebody tells you your top three is a sophomore, like it's going to be really, really hard. In fact, I would venture to say the hardest thing to do is to maintain your spot at the top of the class 
uh, for three or four years. So, so that's, that's a hundred percent on. So last thing on, on Jackson real quick. Uh, so is consistency, the thing he needs to improve upon the most before he gets to UNC and offensive consistency, uh, to be even more specific. I think like the consistency of his shooting, the consistency of, of his guard skills, I think specifically, I know there was talk about, um, there was talk about putting the ball in his hands in USA basketball. Um, you know, and, and I, I heard that from a member of the coaching staff, like, could he take on more of a ball handling responsibility? And it was like, no, I don't. I don't. And, and that, you know, that, that kind of played out, uh, in the FIBA competition. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's the, it's great that he can explode and have those big nights, but when he's not on, you know, it, it's got to, there's got to be a higher, a higher baseline, I would say. We're talking with Adam Finkelstein here on the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Uh, for whatever reason, my computer seems to be delayed tonight. Like I press a button and something happens three seconds later, which is incredibly unhelpful. Uh, Adam, one of the things I want to ask you, James Brown, uh, developing big man. I think North Carolina fans are really excited about him. We actually had him on the show last year shortly after he oh, committed. Cool. And yeah. uh, just a, a really, really likable kid. Uh, he played for a different squad this summer. Uh, I want to ask you, what do you think he needs to develop uh, as as he's looking into this coming season, so that he can be ready for enrolling at UNC this June? And then we'll wrap up at we'll we use this and wrap up the other uh, twenty four comments right now. I, I would say that um, the great thing about James Brown is even at this stage, I mean, he played on one of the most talented EYBL teams in the league. And uh, he came off the bench, if I'm not mistaken, quite quite a bit uh, behind John Ball. And um, the humility and the willingness to, to accept a role at this stage and not say, hey, I'm going to play for somebody else is really, really important. Excuse me, especially in the era of the transfer portal. Um, so what does he need to work on kind of depends on what outcome you're trying to optimize for. I mean, to me, James Brown is, is a role playing big. Um, who's not an offensive alpha or standout. And so from that standpoint, you know, I, I, those guys are necessary. They're necessary to your depth, to your continuity. Um, you know, his upside as of right now, he could prove me wrong. This is, you know, this happens plenty of time, but his, his offensive upside is not the same as Ian Jackson's or Drake Powell's or Elliot Cadeau's. Um, but I think you're getting a guy who's going to run, who's going to, who's going to bang, who's going to rebound, who's going to screen. Um, and if he can, you know, uh, develop some added versatility on both ends of the floor in terms of, um, you know, being able to, to just play at different spots offensively, I'm not saying he's got to be a knockdown three point shooter, but can he, can he be a threat in, in dribble handoffs? Can he be, you know, is he someone opposing defense have to account for out there? Um, how many different ways can he guard ball screens? So that in, in kind of the, the prototype that he's at right now, I think that's, that's probably the areas of improvement that would be most beneficial. Well, that's uh, that's pretty strong analysis. And I think a lot of folks, you know, if, if you would have asked, uh, would they value a player like that over the last couple of years? I think they absolutely would have eaten it up. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. So let's, uh, unless my esteemed counterpart, Sherelle or Sean, have anything else they want to mention on, um, We'll I mean, I became on. president of the Elliot Cadeau fan club, but I guess that's that that ship has passed now, right? Everybody's I mean, no. Go ahead, talk about it. We haven't had you no, no, no. I'm, j- I'm, I'm joking. Replaced. No, he was he was he was incredible this EYBL season. Um, incredible. So I'm sure North Carolina fans are are uh, got to be thrilled about him. Well, just sitting here reading some of the comments in the chat while we're doing this show live on YouTube. Uh, 
Yeah, it's the, the hype is real, and I think it's only going to grow as as we get closer to uh, to late October. So right. what I want to do is is I'm going to go through and basically lay out all the players that North Carolina has offers out to, okay. uh, just for our listeners and our viewers, and then I'm going to let Sean and Sherelle kind of, I guess, popcorn or lob some some individual questions at you since you've seen just about all these guys multiple times. So I'm going to run them down, give some vitals just for our audience to understand who we're talking about. Um, and then two others that are kind of on the radar uh, that we think will probably be in UNC's orbit sometime soon. Uh, first, number one player overall, Cameron Boozer, 6'9", 215, uh, hybrid forward out of Miami. Uh, UNC has offered number three, Darren Peterson, a 6'5", 195-pound shooting guard from Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. I've already made plenty of Tommy Boy references on here, so I'll, I'll let you miss that today, Adam. That's um, amazing. Could, could you do one for me? I'd really, I haven't heard him. Yeah, you got to do one of those for well, me. Well, you got to get yourself a new book. map. You got to get yourself a new map. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not here. It's not here so much. It's right in here. That's Amazing. Amazing. Um, Koa Pete uh, from out yep. west, Gilbert, Arizona, 6'8", 220 power forward from Perry High School. Uh, the number five ranked player right now, Bryson Tiller, another 6'8", 210 power forward from Atlanta, overtime elite. Uh, Caleb Wilson, 6'8", 195 hybrid forward from Atlanta, Holy Innocence. Uh, seven, Isaiah Harwell, who's been on Hubert Davis's offer list forever, it seems. Uh, six, five, 180 out of Mount Pleasant, Utah. Uh, Caden Boozer, the other Boozer twin, which I'm sure he loves being called. Six, three, 190 combo guard, also out of Miami. And then two others, uh, Nico Bundalo and Jackson Keith. Uh, Bundalo from, uh, or maybe it's Bundalo, I'm sure Sherelle will correct me at some point. Um, from Uniontown, Ohio, power forward. And Jackson Keith is a wing forward from Southern Durham really close to Chapel Hill. So with that said, uh, Sherelle, you go first. Popcorn one for Mr. Uh, Mr. Fink here. Yeah, I think I'm most interested in Bryson Tiller just because he's kind of off the beaten path. Um, we don't get to Under Armour that much because UNC is so concentrated on Adidas and, and Nike and usually mm -hmm. just Nike most years. And then he's at OTE as well. So just kind of overall feel for like who he is on the court, his game and, and kind of um, where you see things moving forward with him as far as uh, improving as a player. So Bryson Tiller, um, when I really dug into him about, you know, 14 months or so now, uh, he was, you know, at the end of his sophomore year, he was just a man child. So big, so strong, so long. I went to an Under Armour camp down at IMG in June of 2022, and he was, in my opinion, the best prospect there. So, you know, arguably the best long-term prospect in their circuit as a sophomore. Um, the really interesting thing about him is that he's got um, – a couple different seven footers in his family. So while he was this man child, I was like, you know, he told me this and, and I said, Oh, you know, you may still grow. Um, and, and, you know, he might've stretched an inch since then. So he's not going to be a seven footer, but what he is, is he's this long and powerful physical specimen who is more skilled than he gets credit for. In fact, I think if there's a knock on him right now, it's that he doesn't physically dominate as much as he's capable of. So, so you're really talking about a, a four man, um, who's, who's got the size and the length and the strength to, to play some five, quite frankly, but, you know, he wants to, his game right now is kind of mid post face up. Um, he, he's, he's developed that part of his game and, and he's added those weapons, but I think he, he's got to get back to the part where he can, uh, you know, he can punish people at the rim and he's just as much of a threat to pick and roll as he is pick and pop. But I, I would say, you know, physical specimen inside with an expanding inside out skill set who's got to, um, who's got to learn to fill, fully utilize those physical tools in order to, to be as efficient and as dominant as he can be. 
does he have designs or um do you think he's needs to become more of a perimeter player it seems like that is the move if you're a four or a five you want to become kind of a three at the next level do you see that for him so um I, i'm gonna go on my soapbox about positions I, he's you know a lot of these guys will say they want to be a three and and all to me that just shows that they're not really watching the nba uh or the people that are advising them aren't really watching the nba or don't really know like bryson tiller's closer to a five than he is a three however uh, a five man or a four man in the modern NBA, just like we talked about with James Brown, you have to have uh, versatility. You've, you know, everybody, unless you're a total specialist, you've got to be able to play inside and out if you're talking about the highest levels. So um, he's not like an elite, like bouncy vertical athlete. Um, so, so I think for him, it's about, um, and this isn't unique, this is for most kids, it's about expanding his game without diminishing his efficiency you know what i mean like can, can you get better and extend your game without taking away from the things you do best so and he has expanded his skill set we've seen definite progression in that area we I, I do want to see more as i said just like hey you're the biggest baddest dude out here just go bully somebody inside like if you're setting a ball screen and somebody goes under like you got to force that switch and you got to demand the ball and dunk on somebody because like if you're turning that into an eight foot fadeaway, like that's just not getting it done. And that's not high school basketball. That's NBA basketball too. I'll see if I can find the unmute button. Um, I, I think for the, the 2025 guys, just in, in terms of the, the ones UNC has offered Darren Peterson, obviously number, number three, but when UNC offered him, he was probably the one I was most excited about. I just enjoyed watching. Yep. And he had a really strong uh, USA basketball performance, mm -hmm. but, how was it kind of watching him this summer, especially maybe watching him early at the Adidas and just seeing uh, how he played uh, throughout the summer series? So Bossy and I were in Omaha together for the first session of Adidas. And I was concentrating on 17s and, and Bossy was doing more underclassmen. And he, I think it was like Saturday morning, it was right after Ian kind of went nuts with that 37 point game. Bossy just sent me a text and was like, <laughs> you got to watch this dude. And obviously we'd already seen him. Like he's a five-star kid, top of the class. Um, but he's taken his game to to another level. Um, he's playing with the ball in his hands more. He's got positional size. He's scoring from different levels. He's leading, um, which which is really impressive, and uh, and making plays for other people. There, his you know he just announced he was going to transfer to Huntington Prep in West Virginia for his junior year. There's speculation that he could end up reclassifying. You know if that if this trend follows next year's class, like this year's class, I think he and Tiller will will both, especially Tiller because he's older. Um, could both explore that that pathway. Um, Darren Peterson is, you know, potentially the best long-term prospect for a guard, even if he does reclass. I mean, he's got a wealth of tools in addition to positional size. Um, and if he proves that he can play with the ball in his hands on a full-time basis, um, you know, you got something that, that could potentially be very special. And to your point, he was he, did, he took a backseat to no one in that USA basketball 19 and under group. Um, so I think he he's a dynamic guard, as good of a guard as there is in the high school game. Um, and uh, he's someone that North Carolina fans should be very excited about. What, what In terms of him and for his main improvement points, what would you say those are, uh, whether it is reclassing or two years left, but where would you say he needs to improve the most on um, before he gets to college? I think it's going to be interesting. This isn't 
again, this is more, uh, what I'm most interested in seeing if I could tweak the, the, the question a little bit is how he incorporates his game with other good players in a competitive situation. So while he was really good with that USAB 19 and under team, I mean, listen, any of the four of us put us out there with like, you know, Boozer and, and, and Peterson and Koa and whoever, and like, we'd all look pretty good. Um, cause we'd, we're winning by 70, you know, like, um, so I, and, and his situation in high school and AAU has been built exclusively around him. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what he's like when he's in a position where he's, you know, if he's not, even if he is the focal point, he doesn't have unlimited volume and freedom because that's what he's got right now. You know, he can play through his mistakes. There is no repercussions for, you know, you take a bad shot or you take a playoff, like you're not coming out. Now, don't get me wrong. He's, he's shown growth, but it's a different dynamic when you don't have total freedom. And, um, and so USAB, he didn't have that, but again, they were, they were just crushing people. I mean, that team was so good. It was just, there was, there was a, a level of competitiveness and of pressure, quite frankly, because it was so lopsided that was absent from those games. So yep. that's the thing. So rather than rather than pinpoint like one part of his skill set, I would just say that's the dynamic that I'm most interested in when he has to blend with other talented players in a half court game. What does that look like? Got it. So, Adam, I want to ask you, um, one of the things I think that is new for this North Carolina fan base as they see how Hubert Davis and and his staff recruit. There hasn't been many times in you know recent memory where essentially a North Carolina coach offered damn near all of the top ten. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing right now is Hubert Davis has offered, you know, basically one, three, four, and five, and then six mm-hmm. and then eight. And mm-hmm. the, so mm-hmm. I would just ask you how do you how do you look at that approach? And how do you feel like North Carolina should prioritize a couple of these guys? You know, because as we've seen the the recruiting cycle get all thrown out of whack by, you know, by the transfer portal and guys reclassing and just so many different elements that that we didn't have five years ago. What would you say about this strategy from Hubert Davis and his staff? And how do you feel like this should go about, you know, prioritizing these kids? Because you can't prioritize everybody, right? Yeah. So it's you know. I think that anytime you're going to go hunting for the very best prospects in the class, everybody, everybody's interested in like kind of the conversion rate, if you will, like how many of those kids do you get? Um, What I think is most important is, is what's your contingency plan? Because, um, you know, I go back to remember when uh, Bryce Drew was at Vanderbilt and he was Mm -hmm. there and he got Darius Garland and he got, I think it was Simi Shitu but he got two five-star guys and they were gone a year later and he got fired, you know? So it was like, and they were great. Like they were huge recruiting wins and um, but they didn't help him win games. Then there are other, you know, there are other people who come in and they're saying like, okay, we want to recruit. We want to recruit against, you know, the best of the best against the Carolinas, against the Dukes, against the Kentuckys. Um, But if you don't get them, then what, you know what I mean? So I think that, one of the the thing that makes the most sense to me about what North Carolina is doing is they're being very deliberate with how they're handling the branding. And it's been, you know, uh, Coach Davis has talked about this, how they belong playing on Monday night, how they belong with the best of the best. And their, their recruiting philosophy 
Um, it's one thing to say that, but their recruiting philosophy matches that talk. You know, they're talking the talk, they're walking the walk. Simultaneously, um, they haven't been left without a chair when the music stops because they've had contingency plans, mostly in the transfer market. You know, like they, they've done whether it's kids reclassing up or um, or getting transfers to to plug holes. Um, they've done a really good job of that. And so, like, I'll I'll highlight Kentucky as a program that, you know, this year that even though they had the top ranked recruiting class coming in, they missed on some of the guys they thought they were going to get. And, and they were one of them. I mean, and then all of a sudden they've got eight guys left on the roster. Now they get an international kid and, and the, you know, the thing goes down and uh, hugs leaves West Virginia. So they get Trey Mitchell, but like, that's a big part of, of when you're going big game hunting, making sure, and I, I don't mean to, to use the uh, the musical chairs analogy, but it's an appropriate one. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna go for those those big guys, and you invest all the time and the resources in it, you better simultaneously make sure you have a contingency plan. That's the part that nobody talks about that is absolutely critical to team building, and and you got to simultaneously get those get the right like three and four year guys you can build around or, or veterans, whether, you, you know, in this day and age, you can do it in the transfer portal. But I, I think so from a branding perspective, his recruiting philosophy has matched what he's talking about. That all makes sense. But I think getting the solid base hit guys in the transfer portal has been a really underappreciated aspect of that strategy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gotcha. So, uh, Adam, that's a good explanation. I wanted to kind of take it to the next step and just talk about 2025 as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. It's been talked about really, I guess, since the class of 2020, just how down high school basketball has been in, in 2021, 2022. You know, there are some folks who said that uh, the 2022 and 23, 23 classes were the worst they've ever scouted. Um, Bossy said that he, he doesn't mind me saying that he said it publicly. No, I've said it. I've said it publicly. <laughs> okay, you, you, <laughs> yeah. there you go. There yeah. you go. So, are are we? Trust me, no one's no one's ornier, uh, no one no one's moodier than I am. Like Bossy is generally just a much happier person than I am. So, gotcha. like, yeah, he's he's yeah. If he was negative, I'll be worse. Trust me. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think we're overcompensating with kind of the love being shown to twenty twenty five, or is it really? that good especially at that four spot where i thought we were last better. summer in fact i wrote this last summer okay. um i i thought we were i thought the so what happens at the peach jam when we get to peach jam and the national college basketball media shows up and the nba scouts show up and lots of times they show up with zero context like they haven't watched it and these guys are all my friends so like and, and i would you know like 
some of these guys, I, I, I won't say it by name, but like we, you know, we talk about, I, I'll say to him, I was like, would you stop tweeting such so-and-so is the best player you've seen after you watch 20 minutes of an EYBL game in which you're not really watching because you're working the head coach you're sitting next to trying to get him quotes for some story you're doing. Like, stop pretending you're an evaluator, please. Um, so what happened last summer was it was just so bad. Like there was no one to get excited about that people ended up getting excited about 15 and under games about Cam Boozer and Cooper flag. And some of the hyperbole that came out around those two and they're 15 years old. It's a 15 and under game. I mean, like I've never in 20 years of doing this, I've never seen like people get so excited about a 15 and I take it back other than Monty Bates. I've never seen people get so excited about a 15 and under game. Um, but I remember somebody said like Cooper flags, the next uh, Kevin McHale. And I was like, would you stop it? Like, not only is it just um, irresponsible, uh, I, I think as a community, we should all learn and myself included. And I've, I've written this too, like an important lesson uh, uh, from Imani Bates. Um, not that he was the first one, but just about anointing these kids too early and like the labels that we put on them. Um but yeah, so last summer, I really thought like we were just dying for somebody to get excited about the national college basketball uh, media in particular and the NBA scouts, too, because like the NBA scouts were kind of like, OK, there's not much here for me. I'm going to go watch 15 and under. And the national media picked up on that and they start just the hyperbole around Boozer and Flag last summer was was really, really um, over the top. Um, and I I did write about that. And it was kind of a. It was kind of a like, hey, I've made this mistake before. You know, we've all made this mis mistake before. As a community, we need to do better and learn from it. Um, it was not, not a knock on those two kids at all. Those two kids were every bit as good as advertised. But it's still a 15 and under game. Like, um, you know, so I, I think that was the best example that I can see of us, of us overcompensating and, and trying to find something to get excited about. I also think, though, Sherelle, like the, the flip, the flip side is true too. Like there's somebody in the class of 2022 and in the class of 2023, that's going to be better than we think. And, and we're, we're really like, that's part of the reason, quite honestly, why Drake Powell is as high as he is like not to turn it around because like the high upside got like, we're betting on him getting better. Like he's not there yet. Like, you know, in a normal class, he wouldn't be in the top three or five conversation because there'd be, you know, five to 10 guys that, that it was just like glaringly obvious, you know what I mean? So you wouldn't have to like project in those first spots. They'd just be like, Oh no, he's a no brainer. He's a no brainer. Adam, you talk about, you know, analysts and, and writers and, and a lot of people getting really, really high on a prospect. Um, we're kind of that way about Johnny t-shirt. Uh, Johnny <laughs> t-shirt is a, is a local uh, purveyor of UNC swag here in Chapel Hill. Uh, they've been longtime supporters of uh, of Inside Carolina and the content that Inside Carolina puts out, and, and we just love them. Um, we you know we would say they are definitely atop our recruiting board and have been for some time. Uh, so if you're ever looking for some real, truthful, factual, top notch blue chip uh, assortment of UNC goods shirts, um, they are the finest haberdashers of such. You can find them at JohnnyT-shirt.com. Premium subscribers to Inside Carolina know they get an extra 10% off the top if they use the, the code found on our premium message boards, which you posted on today uh, to, to say you're excited to be joining us tonight. So thanks for, for that. And if you Absolutely. ever decide to if you ever decide to shop at Johnny T-Shirt, you can get that same code. So 
I want to make sure everybody listening and watching checks out Johnny T. We appreciate them. Uh, football season is a mere stone's throw away. Don't show up to your first tailgate of the year in Charlotte wearing old gear. Uh, I've warned you. You've been warned. I have properly given you guys the heads up. So uh, if you're listening to the show, go to johnnytshirt.com. Use your 10%. Get the new gear. With that said, Adam, thanks for your patience. Uh, we got a couple of questions yeah. from uh, from the audience here that I want to throw at you. And don't worry, I'm actually screening these, so we've got some good ones. We're not. No, no, no. Give me the hate. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's actually yeah. no hate, man. Okay. Um, it's great. A very, it's a very, very pro faint crowd tonight. Um. So first thing, this is from our guy Albert Tucci, and and he's very much engaged. Uh, joins a lot of the cool. shows and always has good stuff to say. Where would you like to see Ian Jackson go somewhere other than Cardinal Hayes for his senior season? There seems to be uh, a lot of buzz going around that. That's really hot. Uh, and then he follows it up with other inconsistency. What's the biggest improvement point for him staying top five in the class? And I think you mentioned it a little bit with Sherelle earlier, but I want to throw that out to you. Yeah. So um, I will just, for the first question, I will just say that, that I can't, um, I can't really endorse one high school program over another because I've got to have relationships with all of them. Um, so I, I I'm going to pass on that. Um, I do think that, uh, his high school coach at Hayes, I'll say this is a very good coach. Um, uh, and, but you know, it's in this day and age <clears throat> in high school kids, I mean, it's, it's almost a surprise that, that Ian, well, I'll say this, Ian is the exception to the rule by being there as long as he has been already. Um, in terms of consistency, the biggest improvement point for him to stay top five is, um, just overall guard skills. Uh, shooting is the most glaring. That's the one we've talked about. I've actually kind of always been a believer that he's a more capable shooter than um, I'm higher on his shooting than most, even though I recognize he has, you know, you know, games where it doesn't look good, but I, I don't, again, I think like ball comes off his hand fine. Um, but I think it's guard skills too. That was the thing that I thought in the FIBA competition was pretty glaring. Like, um, you know, uh, being able to play at different speeds, the handle, the pass, like not getting stuck in first gear, being reliable as a decision maker with the ball. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, when I say not getting stuck in first gear, like you can't always be in a rush, um, got to know when to hit the brakes and, and when to hit the gas. And, and this, so those kind of nuances and subtleties that go, go along with being a true guard and not kind of like a, a wing guard, so to speak, I, I think would be the area that I would pinpoint. Awesome. Appreciate you elaborating on that a little bit. Our next one's from a uh, show regular B Mick. Um, we'll throw this up here for you too. And he asks, who is a former collegiate pass first point guard that Elliot Cadeau can be compared to? And, and Sean and Cheryl are probably about to injure themselves, mm. rolling their eyes in the back of their heads because they know I love player comps and they don't. Um, you know, so what's funny. Know who, who could you link him up to? Yeah, go ahead. I've always thought player comps were like when I was younger, I thought they were terrible. Um, like I hated doing them. Like when I was at ESPN, everything was a player comp and it was, and it's so hard to do player comps when you're, when you're trying not to give these kids a big head because it's like, okay, this kid reminds me of whoever Kawhi Leonard. And it's like, and I'm like, obviously I'm talking about a style and not like, uh, you know, saying he's going to be as good as Kawhi Leonard. Um, who, let me ask you, what are some of the ones that you guys hear? Cause I'm admittedly bad on coming up with these, like off the top of my head. What are some of the yeah. common ones we hear for he Elliot? He teased it with, with Chris Paul a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, I, think, I don't see know, that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Cadeau's a little bit bigger. Sean Sherrill, I'll let you guys cha- uh, chime in a little bit if you want to. You want to do that again? Yeah, I, what I are know some this, of the popular ones? This makes Sean sick to his stomach, but go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't like him. I just saw somebody mention Tyus Jones. Better shooting Tyus Jones. I could see that. I mean, I think from a skill perspective, we, we you know we talk about Kendall Marshall from a pure passing uh, perspective, just given. I think his his vision is is something that uh, UNC fans haven't seen in quite some time, especially last year. Uh, the lack of passing ability the team showed. Yeah. I think uh, athleticism, different spectrum with how quick and explosive he is. Um, but I, I think I always say Kendall Marshall from a passing perspective, but I usually pass on the pure pit player uh, comparison. Are you allowed to compare a Carolina kid to a Duke kid? Is that is that allowed? I would say we break, the, we break the rules here. So all right, if, if, I, I actually, I actually don't. We're okay I, with it. We're okay with it. Yeah, I think the Tyus Jones one is is um is pretty decent because Tyus Jones was like that was one of the first classes that I really got to know nationally uh, when I was when I was at ESPN and um, I remember spending some time with him and he was just he was the catalyst for everything. He had that same kind of like just give me the ball and I'm going to take care of everybody kind of mm-hmm. like. Um, kind of presence to him um so i think i think that's but but he didn't you know he couldn't shoot it like like he wasn't the shooter that elliot is um but i but there is that one's got some legs that that one's not bad a lot of fans just real quick i was like for carolina fans he did win a national championship as a freshman and then was out so i think they would they would accept that from uh, elliot cadeau if it were you know what i'm gonna say this too I, i'm gonna get you an answer i'm gonna go on the inside carolina message board with a better answer later on because i'm gonna i'm gonna look at some comps and i'll get back to oh, yeah. that one. man offering to do some homework i love it yeah <laughs> how, how would you rate his shooting in terms of making that transition to to the college level i know he shot it well at eybl at, at link it was like 37 percent uh i think prior to that maybe a little lower but i think that will you can see teams probably going under screens with him a little bit early on just to put the pressure on him but how do you think that'll fare his his outside shot next season? I, I think he's I think he's a pretty solid shooter. I think mechanically there's everything is sound there. Um, I think it's the biggest concern. Maybe he's not a movement shooter. Like it's not like you know they're not going to run him off staggers yeah. that, that I see happening. But um, the biggest thing is is going to be like how much uh, space does he need to get it off? You know, like because that that really comes down to like your gravity, right? So like if if you you can speed up that release because that's the one of the biggest adjustments to college is like, you know, the game's quicker, it's faster. So like how much time do you need to get your, your shot off? Um, so on the, on the surface, it's like, people are going to go under pick and roll. Well, he's going to, he can make pull-ups pretty consistently, but it's like, okay, how quick can he get into it? You know, when, when those guys wrap around that screen, they close back out. Like, does it become a, a tough two, a contested two at that point in time? Cause that's obviously not good. So I think the speed of his release is going to be interesting, but but mechanically speaking, he's he's a he's a sound shooter. I don't wouldn't have any concerns about that. I think it's just about like the the speed of his release and stuff like that. All right, we got another question for you here in the uh, in the chat from our guy Fireman Lamont, which I don't know why that pops me. I mean, the guy may legitimately be a fireman named Lamont, and but I, I love the I, I love the name at least the handle of it. 
Hey, Adam, how high are NBA scouts on Elliot Cadeau? See, I told you the Cadeau hype is real, man. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And due to his already established NIL deals, what does it look like for him to return for a second season at UNC? I know you can't answer that, but I will let you answer the first part. How high are NBA scouts on Elliot Cadeau? Well, I'll say this. So, so I hosted Elliot's – when Elliot committed in December, like I hosted that. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember talking to him, and I remember candidly – I remember when he said publicly, like he was going now so he could be one and done. Mm -hmm. I, I remember like kind of taking a, a, I was like, oh, you know, like I wasn't expecting that. Um, right. Now to his credit, like he's, he, he, you know, he brought his game to another level, but he in, in the EYBL, but he's not your prototypical NBA point guard from a, from a, from a measurement standpoint, you know what I mean? Like he's not going to go blow away the combine or anything like that. I mean, he's, he doesn't have that, that Scoot Henderson, De'Aaron Fox, like he doesn't have that level of burst. Um, I think again, that's where there's some um, validity to the Tyus Jones comp because Tyus Jones wasn't a prototypical NBA star either, you know, with his, but he's been a proven himself to be a long time, reliable pro. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I don't really want to speculate. I'll, I'll say this um, without talking specifically about Elliot. In the era of NIL, I'm really not sure why so many people go take a pay cut by going to the NBA <laughs> when they're when they're not a guaranteed first round pick. Um, because, you know, the two way deal is not guaranteed. So everybody says like, oh, there's more two ways. There's no two ways. Like ask Trevor Keels. You lose that two-way deal, you you know you're not getting that money. Um, so like there's there's not um, you know to me if if I'm not now, there's a lot of this is a complex issue. Like if you have an established agent and the agent has a has an understanding with the team that drafts you ahead of time and you know you're not going to get cut on that two-way deal, then there's a little like it's a little less risky, but. Um, I just, I don't know, with the, with the, with the types of money that these kids are making to play college basketball right now, if I were advising a player, not any specific one, um, I would be hard pressed to leave unless I was pretty darn sure I was going to be a first round pick or at least had a guaranteed two way deal. Last question for me, Adam, again, thanks for your time. I think we're starting to yeah, for sure. wrap up a little bit. Um, you're a Northeast guy, and obviously North Carolina has uh, potentially three guys from the Northeast starting um, next season. You know, we're not sure what it would look like, but between Cormac Ryan, RJ Davis, and Elliot Cadeau, I know you scouted them, Ryan, back when you were at ESPN, and then Davis, I guess, at ESPN2, and Cadeau at 24-7 Sports. So mm -hmm. um, just real quick, the, the the mesh between those three, how they fit together, um, how, do you see it, how do you see it playing out? Because they might not start, but they're going to play a lot together. Elliot is the only one that I called a point guard when he was in high school, you know? So, and I think speaking of the, the Carolina message board, I, I, I remember I, I got some grief there because, you know, like RJ to me, um, RJ was a shooter in high school. He wasn't, mm. you know, like he, he was a shooter and a scorer and he was like a, a darn good shooter. And I think RJ's game is going to be freed up by moving off the ball. Now, you know, he's thinking about the NBA and he's going to have to play the point in the NBA. So those dynamics are going to be interesting. But, um, you know, for Cormac, Cormac's got to win. He's got to prove that he can win. 
because from Stanford to Notre Dame, um, like I, I think in terms of his future, like that's the thing that, that scouts are going to want to see. Can you contribute to winning? Um, cause he was another one that was more like in high school, he was more of a shot maker. That was kind of his, his thing. Um, you know, played with the ball in his hands some, but, but really even in high school, didn't really like to challenge people at the rim, um, was more of a tough shot maker. Um, Elliot was, was always been the pure point guard. So I think the fit, I think Cormac and RJ plenty capable of playing with the ball in their hands, but I think both of their games, if they will embrace this role, will be better off by sliding off the ball and playing with a true distributor like Elliot, because Elliot's not going to go out there and say like, Oh, I got to get 20 because scouts are looking at me. Like he may talk about being one and done, but he's never played like a guy who's got to get a certain amount of numbers or anything like that. I mean, that's your mouth to, to God's ears as far as Tar Heel fans are concerned. Cause I think that's one of the things that a lot of folks really kind of pointed out as, as, as a silver lining of having Kadir reclasses. It was going to give, rj davis a chance to have someone create for him rather than him having to create for everyone else oh and also we need you to give us 20 a night um i have one more question from the group yeah. uh, adam we're talking with adam finkelstein uh 24 7 sports's national director of scouting an overall good guy i'm sure he uses both his left and right turn signal indicators uh last question we wanted to hit you is from our guy john causey he says does adam see any of the kids that unc is recruiting as great defenders or who has that dog we all like as we've oh, talked yeah. about here where we we love dogs um so adam I think, in, I, for I, sure yeah well okay so go ahead and elaborate on those two because i think that's a thing that that people expected a little more of out of hubert davis's teams is to be a little more defensive minded but i know it's also hard to see that a lot of times in a 15 or 16 year old player yeah ian and drake both have that mentality um i, I think that's part of the reason um why we're so high on both. I mean, Ian has been known for that kind of, I mean, that, that dog term has been used with Ian very consistently over the years. Um, especially when he was younger, Drake, same thing. I mean, Drake is, uh, naturally competitive. So I think both of those guys should be plus defenders now. Um, you know, being a good defender in high school comes down to usually athleticism and effort, quite frankly. Um, being a good defender in high school becomes, um, much more about, um, awareness and understanding concepts and things like that. Um, I, I, you know, so it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not totally the same thing. It's like, okay, we're going to, you know, if we're going to down sideline ball screens and we're going to, uh, weak middle ball screens, you know, can you process that on the fly? Um, if you can't, you're going to have a hard time being a, a really good now that, that, that that's, you know, probably more specific to big men, but not really because guards still have to change the angle of their bodies depending on the coverage too. But I've seen a lot of bigs who like can't process that on the fly and then they can't play as a freshman. Um, but yeah, I think both of those guys have that, that killer instinct, that dog mentality and, um, and can, and, and take pride in the defensive end of the floor. And Ian can get up and, and I think both of those guys can extend too and pick guys up in the backcourt and really turn them, whether or not that'll fit the system at North Carolina. I, I don't know, but they, they have it in them for sure. Yeah. I think so many fans got so used to UNC running secondary break for so long. And even if they don't run secondary break, you've got to get some, some pressure at the perimeter to trigger uh, some runouts. And, and I'm sure that seeing guys like that, that can come in, as freshmen with a little bit of 
uh, defensive acumen is going to be very well received by the fans of the and nobody guards without accountability you know what i mean like if you give up a straight line drive if you stay in the game like i don't care who you are if it's a 16 year old it's like you know you you allow that to happen i'm not saying i'm not saying that north carolina coaching staff does this i'm just saying it's about more than like i can tell you a lot of kids who were dogs as 16 year olds who came in tight became entitled by the time they were 22 so or or 18 for that matter so um there's a lot of different variables that go into it is my only point well you have brought a lot of variables to the table tonight we certainly appreciate you mr adam finkelstein sherelle sean you guys got any uh flowers you want to throw at adam before he gets out of here no i'll throw some at you shout out to joe thanks adam for coming but joey he went admitted but he's under the weather as well so thank you for persevering Joey, and, and I'm, I'm a gamer man. That's uh, yeah. I never would have known. You're like uh, you're like MJ. <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I may or may not have had some serious dental work done this morning, and uh, man, it's amazing what you can get in pills nowadays. So, <laughs> um, so I'm I'm trying to get by on that as best I can. Sean, you got anything for Adam before we get out of here? No, I pr- appreciated the the breakdown of of Drake and and the other guys, and uh, you know, especially coming off the the summer uh, that you had. I know there's still a week to go, but appreciate the insight. Yeah, Adam, yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Adam, I don't know if you know this, but if you ever see Sean on the road, uh, he is obligated in person to buy you a plate of barbecue. Uh, whatever the the local hotspot is. Um, so you know what's funny? It's uh, I know you're trying to get off. Like when I was no. in Memphis, I was like, that's my thing. Like if if I'm gonna like, I try and find. <laughs> you know, I've been doing that now. Where I'm like, all right, let me find the best. Especially if we're in a town known for barbecue. So yeah, I did that in Memphis. Uh, went to the spot. The first spot I went to, they said, ah, that's where the tourists go. And then the next spot I went to was not where the tourists go. But um, yeah. So Sean, <laughs> I'll take you up on that for sure. All right. Can't wait. Yeah. Sean has, Sean has learned all the Joey's spots. Joey's getting me excited right now. See, maybe you guys should talk off the air and figure out, like, you know, just make a running list that y'all can start hitting together, man. Uh, Absolutely. All right, y'all. Well, we appreciate it. Shout out to everybody who joined us live tonight. And if you are not listening to this live and you're listening to this in your podcast feed or on YouTube later, hey, we're grateful for you too. Take a second, hammer that subscribe button for me. Uh, make sure you're getting all the notifications. Um, and Adam, just telling you, a lot of folks are very thankful for, uh, for you being here too, just reading, uh, notes in the chat. So thanks for doing it. We hopefully will have you back sometime very soon. Enjoy your last couple of weeks of summer. Sherelle, Sean, we'll catch you sometime very soon down the road, but until next time, I'm Joey Powell for Adam Finkelstein, for Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. This has been the coast to coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.